Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we are discussing the Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 episode, Empathological Fallacies. So last week I said something about Talyn being T'Pol and I stand by that, because like T'Pol, she is in her early 60s. That's right. And she's, you know, she's got the same thing going on there and I like it bad at emotional regulation (laughs) I will say I'm starting to feel like I would like a female Vulcan character who is good at emotional regulation but I also think that the only Vulcan we've ever seen who's good at it is Tuvok he's an outlier also he's sort of an elder statesman he's older he's settled he's been through his youthful drama right Right. He has a whole episode about his youthful drama and how he got over it and right. left Starfleet, got his, his shit together, and then came back. We have whole flashbacks to that time he was a young man being sent to conversion camp for Vulcans who feel emotion. Oh my goodness. Look, what is wrong with the Vulcans? So many things. So many things. Including... To Lynn's captain and everyone on that ship. Yes. They're all terrible. Vulcans are bad. (laughs) I know we we said it a lot. All Vulcans are bad except the ones that we love. Because they're bad at being Vulcan. Uh, Yeah, there is just something fundamentally broken about Vulcan society. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because I love Romulans. I actually think Romulan society is even more broken. (laughs) well, it's my going theory mm. that that's why they're broken. Yeah, they're separated. Because they're separated, and yeah. once they come together, they're they're going to be okay. The Navarans, they seem chill. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed seeing a whole bunch of Betazoid ambassadors, and Deanna is the outlier. Betazoids right. are just like that. <laughs> just like that, which is great. I want that. As a lady of a certain age who enjoys an alcoholic beverage, I get exposed to a lot of it's Romulan ale o'clock somewhere and, you know, teacups that say this might be wine. So the satire of that, I was like, yes, perfect. Like I say here, made for Star Trek Las Vegas cosplayers. Oh, yeah. All of them. Yes. (laughs) Both outfits. And just everything. But they're ridiculous, tall, Yard glasses. Drinks. That's just straight out of Las Vegas. I saw those on the strip <laughs> as I was walking down. That is a thing that you can just get. And so it was like, this is for those people. Go for it. The fact that Star Trek is not selling its Romulan Ale O'Clock Somewhere hats right now is another indictment of Paramount as a company capable of merchandise. They do not understand their audience at all. Well, you know, as we record this, the first episodes of the season have just dropped and there are official Justice for Tuvix shirts, which is definitely a thing that I guess we needed. I would like to propose that Antimatterpod release Justice for the First Servant shirts. Mm-hmm. We can pay our hosting bill with those. Yes. We'll link to it once we have the design set. Yeah, yeah. I would like to see more of the 
Betazoid ambassadors because I felt like they were just kind of a group. They clearly have their own internal drama, but we didn't really get to dig into that. I would not be mad if they became recurring characters. And that's quite funny because I'm on the record as being not a fan of Loxana Troy. It's, I mean, I think that, yes, they, they're basically a joke. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like they're a, a episode long joke and, and they're great. Like that's not a criticism because that's what the show is. So if yes. that's what it's supposed to be, it's fine. But right, we don't know anything about them. But I just, okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Mm. I was so convinced <laughs> that this is a play on Totally Spies <laughs> that I looked up who wrote Totally Spies <laughs> to try to figure out if there was any overlap between the people who are in charge of Lower Decks and the people who are in charge of Totally Spies. There is not. <laughs> totally Spies is a French production. Wow. However, someone in the writing slash design room mm. loved Totally Spies because these three women are such a tribute to Sam and Alex and Clover. I, I told my daughter who loved Totally Spies, I was like, look, you need to go watch this episode of Lower Decks because it's like them in the future. Everyone who's listening to this now has to go find Totally Spies and watch it. I learned because I like, legitimately i read up on all of the people <laughs> who were involved in totally spies because i was absolutely i was utterly convinced that there was some kind of crossover but i learned in that research that the show is coming back in 2024 oh! so you should all catch up on it before it comes back just like all of star trek does eventually it's interesting that there are these threads to other animated series because there were points where Talyn's vocal presentation was 100% pure Daria. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And that's like, I, I like that idea. I like that Lower Decks is not only spoofing Star Trek through animation, but it's also spoofing animation through Star Trek. Not just spoofing, but playing homage. Paying, hom- paying homage. Well, that's what I meant by speaking. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's respectful. That's the difference between Lower Decks and the very short trek that came out this week. Right. And Prodigy. And Prodigy. Yeah, yeah. Prodigy has a lot of other dramatic animated series in it. And I love that. I really... I just want to hang out with all the writers of all the animated treks because I feel like they'd be fun people and we're interested in similar things. Right. Uh, and again, if you are someone who goes into animation, you're someone mm, who loves animation. Absolutely. And so of course they're, you're going to be influenced by the things that you watched when you were growing up. Like, mm. I get it. If I was in charge of writing Star Trek or writing anything, I would put what I loved into it. That's mm. what you naturally do as a creator. Yeah. I think it's also like, Like you said, you go into animation, you're passionate about animation. Weirdly, I know a lot of people who studied animation at university and then couldn't get jobs in the field. They work for universities, they do your job, they're accountants, they're great people, but they are all 100% really, really media literate. They read widely, they watch widely, they watch 
all forms of animation, whether it's that Netflix style where everything sort of looks the same or Saturday morning cartoons or really obscure stuff from Japan or Korea. If it's animated, they will give it a look. And I think that must be true of people across the field. And I think that the point that they are media literate is is mm. a very, very strong one because I think that you can enjoy a movie or a television series and want to work in there mm. without being media literate. But if you want to work in animation or if you want to understand the field of animation and mm. what goes into it, I think that it's a different kind of storytelling that requires a little bit more of that thought. Absolutely. And I do think all media, whether novels or even nonfiction or television, benefits from having creators who consume very widely and who are very curious. But mm. I think it's particularly the case with animation where you are literally creating a world from scratch. Right, exactly. So you watch all of the other worlds just to see it. And it's different than watching, you know, you can say that Star Trek has a lot of effects in it right so it has mm. it has quote unquote animation in a certain way it has illustration that is different mm. from the quote unquote real world but it's still meant to be realism in a way that animation doesn't have to stick with it's yeah. not stuck yeah in this like it has to be real because the point of animation is that it can be anything yes and you have things like Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse, which really play with that. But I think right. we need to give Lower Decks credit for doing the same thing. Yeah. I just want to go back to your earlier note that the Betazoid Intelligence Agency is made for cosplayers. Someone on the Lower Decks team thinks that bicycle shorts are very sexy. We had them wearing them on Orion last week, and now we have them on one of the Betazoid agents. I'm just putting this out there. Bike shorts are not sexy. See, my theory is that bike shorts are easy to animate. Oh, oh yeah, no, that's 100% it. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I, th I think that's the reality of the situation. One of the other things about animation is that you can, like, you can do all these amazing things. I can look at an episode of Prodigy, an episode of Lower Decks, and mm. I can say Prodigy costs way more oh yeah me. yeah it's yeah. very obvious and that's why prodigy's in trouble mm. because you know because it's gorgeous it's beautiful i've said this many times it's like painting it's so mm. so stunning to look at and i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with lower decks or lower decks animation like it's fine the difference is that prodigy has a budget mm. <laughs> that is fit for that painting. And it also is telling that story. Like you said, yeah. it's a dramatic story. Yeah. It's telling an adventure story about these young people. Mm. And that requires a certain level of artistic. Yeah. And, you know, you know, animation can do anything, but if you design a really intricate costume, is it feasible to ask the right. animators to draw that over and over again? Hence, as you say, bike pants, which didn't even occur to me, but I have a lot of books about the making of Avatar The Last Airbender, and both Aang and Katara's original costumes were simplified because they were great, but they were going to be too intricate to feasibly animate on a regular basis. Yeah, so like... Padme in Star Wars The Clone Wars mm. is the simplest thing she ever wears in her entire life. 
<laughs> she's like, oh, I'm just in my animated era. I'm, I'm simplifying. Exactly. It's just so funny, though, because it's just like, no. Hashtag they tried. That's not what she does. <laughs> Which kind of brings us to your expectations versus reality. Mm. And what surprised me is that Mariner's whole deal is how how well she's getting on with her mother. She's like, I got a sexy mom and I need to save my mommy. And Mariner is a very complicated character, but I love that this is the stage she's at in her relationship with her mother. Yes. Yes. Okay. So there, everybody has this disease, which is like a very Star Trek disease where their emotions are out of control. That's like mm -hmm. every Star Trek disease for whatever reason is you lose all your inhibitions. Yep. So in the side of paradise, when they have the spores that make mm. them all lose their inhibitions and it shows everybody at their most emotional and like McCoy's an alcoholic and Spock's in love <laughs> and, and Kirk is like, what if I lose my shit? <laughs> and he does like this, you know, epic poetry to the Enterprise scene. And Mariner, with her relationship with her mother, reminded me of Kirk in that, like, this is ridiculous. And also, mm. of course, it makes sense. And I of love course. it. <laughs> like, it had that same twist to it. It's interesting that Star Trek is a series overall about very type A driven people who really want to have everything, especially their feelings, under control, and then it attracts that sort of fandom. And this is the worst fear of any type A person. Right, most, exactly. Most diseases aren't going to make you do that. I have COVID right now, and mostly I've just lost containment on my snot. Like, everything is coming out of my face in a really terrible way. Right. But diseases make you tired. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's the reality of diseases. Well, a fun thing about influenza is that in the very early stage of infection, before you have symptoms, you do feel an urge to go out and socialize because the virus wants to be passed on. And so fun. It's great, right? Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff did something really cool with that idea in their Illuminate trilogy. But if I get a flu shot, I'm really chatty and social for the rest of the day. And then the next day I wake up and my arm hurts and I feel wretched. But the virus wants to circulate. The virus wants us to be happy. And that's sort of that, you know, you can you can universalize that to mm. all of the Star Trek viruses yeah. that make you lose your inhibitions so that you immediately go and share them with everyone. Right, right. Have all of my germs. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that is literally how it works in The Naked Time and The Naked Now. Everyone's mm -hmm. just drunk and horny and passing the disease on to other people. With this one, I think it's more like if you're in Talin's approximate area right. you're going to be affected by her and that's the other thing Mariner does not save the ship but she does by helping to find equilibrium right right which like, I have to say I know that we're shipping to with Tendi mm. and this episode does nothing to dissuade me no, from that because no. Tendi is obsessed Tendi is such a quote-unquote gal pal for Talyn mm. I, yeah it's very very there but I did come out of this episode shipping Mariner and Talyn oh yeah too. oh yeah I was like you know what I would be into that and that's fine because clearly Mariner and Ransom are not exclusive no, no. <laughs> oh, God. it was a little gotta say 
a little uh, a little racy for me. <laughs> it was a little bit much in that bar. Yeah, there was some stuff happening in the background. I watched it for a second time yesterday and I was like, I don't know if this is appropriate for the cat. Speaking of appropriate for the cat, my very favourite joke was that Cations used to eat Betazoids. Like, did they evolve on the same planet? Did Betazoids evolve telepathy so that they could communicate silently without alerting Cations? Because cats have such good hearing. You're taking this absolute joke. Just, oh, yeah. Just, just joke and being like, ooh, let's talk about the like evolutionary science that created this amazing thing. I'm sorry. That, I, I applaud you. Is this not the taking everything too seriously podcast? <laughs> and uh, I mean, and also I feel like that is a very Star Trek thing to do. So mm. you're, you're not alone. I just love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Miglimo like phasering the replicator because it's Miglimo it's so funny it's so funny I like I don't really like Miglimo no he's the worst like I don't I don't like him when he shows up like I am again but it was hilarious and that's what like there was clearly a whole expectations versus reality Mm. theme to this episode I mean you know from the get with the Betazoid ambassadors like there was a whole thing going on but Miglimo was like the if you didn't get it this is the theme you idiot (laughs) character and scene where he was just like destroying the replicator and I could not stop laughing and it reminded me of how much is just the planet because like Mm. the bird people do that in that book too which actually I wonder if the writers of Lower Decks have read, because it seems very likely. But also, he goes off at the replicator because his food, the reality did not meet his expectations. Exactly. That's the whole thing, is that he he wanted this and he got something else. It shouldn't be funny that he's screaming, you know, it doesn't taste like my mom's spit. But, like, I'm still laughing about that. No, no. Because that's funny. Because he's a bird. And just as I am overthinking the evolutionary implications of Cations eating Betazoids, the writers are overthinking the implications of a staff member being a bird. Being a bird. Yeah. And somehow the Cations didn't eat him. (laughs) It's it's really very funny. I feel like we didn't get much of Rutherford this week, but it was interesting to me that in the human pyramid that the affected crew members are making. Why? Is that, is it like a sex thing? Anyway, that Tendi is the only one who's fully dressed. Yeah, I was going to say Rutherford got to be undressed mm, and that was mm. the main thing that he did this episode. And again, a little bit disturbing for me. Yeah, Tendi stayed fully dressed because she is very, very repressed. Exactly. She is avoiding her Orionness as much as possible. Yes. She's also saving herself for Tillin. <laughs> Yes, she is. It's just saying. So this is an episode about how Captain Freeman is good at her job. It made me so happy. That's why I like that Mariner saved the ship from, you know, a closet while... Oh, Mariner was trapped in a closet with Talyn. Anyway. Mm. But Freeman... Metaphors. Hmm. 
which is ridiculous. Meredith's never been in a closet in her life. Uh, but Freeman does the actual saving of the ship from the Romulans and everything else. And it's great because she is competent. I love that in this series that is about the joke. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole point of the series is for it to be funny and for it to be referential to and, and reverential to Star Trek, but in this, like, let's laugh together mm. way. It would be very easy for Freeman to just be a completely incompetent and, you know, somehow she got in, put in charge of a, a, mm. a ship anyway. And the ship... Which is ridiculous. Instead, if she was that incompetent, she'd be an admiral. <laughs> and instead, the, the series just continuously doubles down on the idea that she's great. Mm-hmm. That she's just as good as any of the other captains, and it's just, you know, circumstance that she's here. Yeah. And honestly, she's good at being the captain of a California-class ship. Right. If I absolutely had to captain a ship, I'd want it to be Cali-class. Because they get the job done, and they don't have the pressure of making first contact. No one is sending a Cali-class out to stop a war. There's this weird, very American idea that, like, you want to be CEO. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to, like, create something that brings something to the world and, and have a, a business. Like, everybody wants to be a small business that becomes a big business owner. That's, like, the American dream. Yay! And mm. it's like, no. Not everyone wants that, actually. Yeah. And all of this stuff, it's like the anti-tapestry, right? Like, some people just want to be really good at astrophysics. Yeah. And be perfectly happy in a middle management job where they have no authority, but they get to do what they want. Mm. And, like, that's just as valid and just as great. And I don't think Freeman would be as happy commanding a galaxy-class ship because she seems to thrive having a certain amount of independence, but also oversight, much like Mm. her daughter. Much like her daughter. Weird. Mm. And I think it's okay to want to be a cog in a machine. And I think machine is a very impersonal word for it, but to be a small part of a larger whole that does good. Yeah. And the thing is that we need all of those people. Yeah. We can't all be CEOs. Again, my whole thing is that if I didn't have my job like I keep everything going I am the glue like I'm the machine (laughs) (laughs) you know I describe my job whenever anyone asks I say I do all of the stuff that the scientists don't want to do so that they Mm. can focus on science right yes and like that is a very necessary job and Mm. Freeman is like I am perfectly happy being a captain of the California class and doing all of this stuff that is totally, second contact is totally necessary (laughs) to make the Federation run. Yeah. It's important. It's an Mm. important job. And it just because it's doesn't have like the glory of being Captain McCarter of the USS Enterprise, like who wants that? (laughs) Have you seen his life? Right. Also, I think we do have times where Freeman is frustrated by her position and she thinks she wants more respect, but it's not that she wants a different ship in the end. It's that she deserves the respect she is owed as the captain of a Cali class. Relatable. Yeah, yeah. 
And that kind of brings us to holistic security who are unaffected by Talin's emotional upheaval because they are so very centered and they also know where they belong and how to thrive there. And I love it. This is the best thing that ever happened to <laughs> security. And that's the, the division that I ignore in Star Trek because it's just not my thing. I am not a soldier in any version of reality. And I love the idea that they are taking responsibility not for safety as like a shield or mm. as a sword, but like safety as I'm also creating the safe space for you. Yes. That is beautiful in every way. <laughs> and coming from Shax, and you know, I can never get enough of Shax. I was so mad when he was killed off and so delighted when he returned. And everything with him, again, it's subverting expectations. He is a right. big, angry Bajoran and he, his bridge buddy is someone he addresses as Baby Bear, and he does Malcolm Reed puzzles and runs slam poetry sessions. And he has this philosophy that he's running security on this ship, and it he's saying that he takes it very seriously. Like, mm. you know, we were saying we as a podcast take things very seriously. <laughs> he believes that it is his job to make sure that everyone is doing well. Yeah. Like, how incredible is that? <laughs> Shax is a role model, and so not much. just when he's fighting fascism. And when he was talking down to Anna, like, mm. it was so sweet. It was like, there was affection, and there was also, like, I'm doing this as my job, but also as someone who cares about you. Yeah. And it was just, like, yeah. really, I don't know, Shax, man, Shax. Shax is, and I don't say this about <laughs> many Star Trek men, husband material. Put a ring on that, Tana. What a sweetheart. Mm -hmm. And and Boimler could learn from him. Boimler's, like, entire <laughs> problem in life is that he has expectation for everything and the reality is seldom lives up to it for good or ill. <laughs> and so the idea that Boimler was expecting to be a badass yeah. and instead was inducted into this concept of security is more than that yeah it's just beautiful and then at the end security are badasses because yeah. they're good at their job when it, the red alert went off and they immediately jumped mm. into action mm. like yeah they're good at their job too they care about everything i mean it's it, oh, it so good holistic so security i loved it i love everything about holistic security <laughs> they're my favorites <laughs> Also, and this is silly, but any time Enterprise gets a shout-out on Lower Decks, it makes me happy. Like, oh, you really are part of the franchise. Now do Discovery. <laughs> but, you know. Well, but it's hard to do Discovery because Discovery is supposed to be, like, gone. No, I know, I know. I just, I can think of a bunch of ways and they're all hilarious. Mm-hmm. Fair. Like, at the very least, we could have a Kelpian. Right, or I mean, I the the you know you suggested that there is a conspiracy theory mm. about what mm. happened to the discovery, and like fully on board with that. Yeah, and, let's see it happen. Yeah, 
Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, all at Antimatter Pod, and on Mastodon at, at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for the next episode of Lower Decks, Parth Ferengi's Heart Please. Amazing.